not talking into the space. He talks to cows. He talks to bees. He speaks to dogs in paragraphs. He believes trees can hear him. And he listens to cows, bees, dogs, and trees when they talk back, though he has come to understand that each of these beings are often talking about other things, things that are more important to them, and ultimately to him too, and have nothing to do with the questions he's asked. And their language isn't in English. And it can take time to get out whatever they are saying. Sometimes a season. Sometimes things are spoken over many years. And sometimes they happen in a lightning flash moment, much quicker than a word. He's learned that our construction of time isn't all it's cracked up to be. He's learned to listen to other beings because it changes him, alters his perspective, has him understanding differently, seeing the world through another's point of view. And he has come to realize that these many others are his teachers and his guides, and with and over time, possibly even his friends. Leroy Little Bear, an elder and scientist, said to me not long ago, If you could talk to a fish, you'd learn a lot about the world. They've been here for a really long time. They've seen a lot, figured out a lot, too. When I was 15 years old, I took a Naui scuba diving course. Being winter, the sessions were held in the local YMCA pool. It was the only indoor pool in town. We'd have a class before each dive, and each week I'd get filled up with the rules and regulations of diving. There's much to learn, and some of it pertains to physics, which is not my long suit. But I persevered, and each week looked forward to submerging myself in the nine feet of warm water of the pool following the in-class session. We'd do various exercises in there, like doffing and donning equipment, clearing our mask when flooded, surfacing slowly, dropping in over the side, or other ways of getting into the water in full gear and on it went. There was an activity we'd do now and then called underwater hockey. The instructor had to fashion bits of wood into a Y shape, the open end the perfect size to hold a piece of round brass that was the underwater hockey puck. The deal was to get the brass puck into the Y and then push it along the floor of the pool to get it to the other team's end. In truth, it was a free-for-all. There was no referee, and it could be worth your life to try and push that brass puck from one end of the pool to the other, with divers pulling on your tank, shutting off your air supply, ripping your mask from your face. I don't remember anybody winning these games, but I do remember inhaling plenty of chlorinated water. By early May and following the long winter of classes and underwater hockey, we were finally told it was time for our first open water dive. It was a cold, gray Sunday when we met on the frozen sand of Johnson's Beach on the shore of Kempenfeld Bay. We stripped to our trunks and slid into our wetsuits, then donned the rest of our gear. We then waded into the icy waters as it seeped and trickled and forced its way into the inner lining of the wetsuit. I was struck by just how cold, cold water can be. Numbing, really. Unalive. Freezing, with a capital F. We'd been swimming in 75-degree pool water, and now we're wading into liquid that was just a few degrees above freezing. Eventually, the wetsuit did what a properly fit wetsuit does. Takes the freezing water and forms a seal between skin and suit, creating a protective layer that quickly warms to 98.6 degrees. It's so welcoming. The bay 
is 100 feet deep at its deepest point, and as we swam out and the depth grew below us, we eventually came to a spot where the diver down flag rested easily on a small buoy. It's a red flag with a white stripe from the upper left corner to the lower right, telling any and all to keep clear 200 feet that there were divers below. I looked across the gray surface of the bay on that May morning, in all directions, and didn't see any boats, or people, or much of anything, really. But I did notice a derelict fish shanty bobbing in the water a little ways off, left on the bay by some ice fishers, a reminder that the water we were in had been ice not so long ago. Once we were collected around the flag, the instructors told us to do a final check of our equipment. I had so many rules running through my head with the added concern of air embolisms and possibly getting the bends, and wondering if there were freshwater sharks in Kempenfeld Bay. Never lose sight of your buddy, an instructor barked. Use the scuba hand signals to communicate. Check your air supply depth. Make sure everything is in working order. This isn't playtime, people. This shit just got real. Be an adult down there. We were then told to descend slowly to make our way to 40 feet and hold there. I'd been using my snorkel to breathe since I'd left the beach, but now it was time to put the regulator into my mouth and take the show into the deep. Dropping below the surface, breathing compressed air with its sing-song hissingness, and descending deeper into the water is a glorious feeling. At about twenty feet I caught the eye of one of the instructors. He must have sensed that I'd become stoned by the experience. He got all gesticulating on me and was pointing at various parts of my body like I was a diagram on a blackboard or something. I nodded my head and did another diagnostic of my equipment, but it wasn't long before I returned to the stone state. I couldn't escape the peculiar feeling that had overtaken my mind and body and spirit. I was now in forty feet of water. The light refracting from above lit the space in a moody way, uh, a black and white movie sort of way. My buddy was being attended to by one of the instructors, so I was left on my own, just a fifteen-year-old kid under the water of a bay that I'd spent summers swimming and canoeing in and winters skating on. But this was the first time in my life I was down in the guts of it, inside the being of the bay. In the dream of the experience, I slowly became aware that there were other beings down here. Through the murk, I could make out three large fish swimming toward me. What's this, I thought. I looked to my right and left. Other divers were a distance off, preoccupied with their equipment checking and such. I went back to the fish as they continued their slow approach toward me. They were a trio of northern pike, long, powerful fish that can grow to be 55 pounds and up to 5 feet in length. These weren't quite that large, but they were big. They also appeared quite relaxed, at home, because they were at home. Our roles had reversed. I was the fish out of water, the one out of his element. They swam right up to my mask and lingered there, peering in their large olive-black eyes, moving in their sockets, scanning my face. Any fear I felt was quickly replaced with curiosity. Awe. These magnificent, sleek beings were giving me their full attention, and they surely had mine. I watched their gills move gently in and out, their tail fins sway easily in the water, holding them in place, and I fell into a deeper trance. Gone was the physics, the checking of equipment. I had been delivered into the ancient moment. I brought my hand up to touch one of the fish, but she moved away with a small swish of her tail fin. 
Then she came back and stared in at me again. Who are you? Where do you come from? The look said. Or that's what I thought it said. Maybe they sensed that I was no threat, or maybe they decided it was too lumpy to eat. I don't know. I hung out in front of my mask a little longer, then did a slow check of the rest of my body, staying clear of the bubbles of my scuba tank. I'd never seen a fish that either wasn't dead on a plate or being hauled brutally from the water, desperately fighting for their life. I also decided I'd never seen anything quite so beautiful. I was down here in another world, in a place these beings called home, and was unable to say a single word to them, but communication was going on. The only sound was the sound of my air being released from the tank. The pike eventually swam off, going God knows where, and I watched them until they slid between the worlds from the refracted light of where I was into the deeper darkness, a darkness that wasn't darkness at all. It was simply limp by light somewhere else that I was unable to see. Other ways of talking, not talking being one of the other ways, not filling a perceived void, understanding the sounds around aren't always in response to us, but are part of another current, another series of thoughts, needs, and desires, and taking the centuries available in every single moment to listen, to breathe with, to be with, is not only humbling, it can be illuminating and complex and so dearly satisfying. The gift of being is shared by all of the nouns, who are actually terrific verbs, going about their activities with the same verve and creativity that any of the rest of us are involved in. Love boldly, tread lightly, and listen, if not learn, the many other language be being spoken on planet blue, be it cow, bee, dog, tree, fish, butterfly, or myriad others. We are all travelers passing through and respect is a starting point for our most affecting and profound relationships wherever we are headed. Lingering in the moment, then holding easy and still, being with another, drawing breath together, not talking into the space, can deliver us to other ways of understanding and appreciation and loving. Thank you.